0: What's going on guys? My name is Al De Niro, and welcome to another review of 13 Reasons Why. This is tape 2 side A and it's the third episode so that makes it the third review. I hope you guys are looking forward to it if you're excited and you're enjoying this mini-series that I'm doing, then uh, if you'd consider leaving a like on the video, that would be awesome. As always, if you're listening on iTunes or SoundCloud, the link to the YouTube video will be in the description if you like to have some visual aids on the screen to help you, uh, you know, realize what scene I'm talking about and stuff like that, because some of you guys are probably not following along with me and you've already seen it and you're looking back or something like that whatever if you want to discuss this check out the subreddit it's reddit.com slash or slash midnight hour it will also be linked in the description along with my twitter and i believe uh links to the previous two episodes too if you've only just caught up um I don't know when the next episode will be but as i said in the last video every two or three days or whatever uh so yeah let's get into the review this episode opens with hannah referring to the butterfly effect suggesting that we may be about to see one of the crucial moments in the build-up to her suicide like the event that sparks the chain reaction that pushes her into her downward spiral which is something that in a really weird way, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing. If you're unfamiliar with the butterfly effect, it's a concept that small actions can have large unintended consequences. And the uh, example or the metaphor that's always used is a butterfly flapping its wings, causing a hurricane somewhere thousands of miles away. We see Jessica visiting Justin's mother's house, and learn that Justin is not, in fact, a rich middle-class white kid, but the child of an apparent drug addict, and her meth-head, neo-Nazi boyfriend, Seth, who we can quite clearly see is a bad egg. He appears to look Jessica up and down, as though he's attracted to her and it's also telling that he's a Nazi and he was looking at her as though he thought that she was an object that was so far beneath him and uh, it was a really uncomfortable scene and if I didn't know better, I would say that it was setting Justin up for some kind of redemption arc because there appeared to be elements of Justin that have some good in him even though he is the king of the evil jocks he also appears to be a relatively decent guy but then other things happen in this episode that push him away from any potential redemption arc. So um, it's kind of strange what they're doing with his character, but interesting nonetheless. We learn that this tape is about Alex, who is apparently going to F Hannah's L forever, which is a thing that Alex, Hannah and Jessica used to say in Monet's, the the uh, hot chocolate coffee shop A thing they used to say to sort of solidify their bond um, was FML forever and they would all hold hands and say that which sounds incredibly corny when I say it out loud and yet when you watch it in the episode looks like a relatively sane and normal benign thing to do. Hannah walks into the guidance counselor's waiting room and sees Jessica. Jessica has bloodshot eyes and Hannah asks her if she's okay and I swear to god this is the first instance of Hannah showing humanity in the whole show so far. Like the first time that I can believe she's not a robot who sees the world in computer code and is trained only to paint herself as a victim. Alex also comes into the room and it's clear that he and Jessica have broken up at this point. They take some shots at each other, Hannah is caught up in the middle and she suggests a reunion in Monet's, the coffee place that I mentioned a couple of minutes ago and which played a pretty prolific part in the last episode. We then see Olivia, Hannah's mother, sharing a tense scene with the school's principal and I believe this is the first mention of a pending court case where Olivia and her husband are actually taking on the school. I'm not sure the specific of it, but I believe what they're trying to do is frame the school as a hostile environment which contributed largely to Hannah's suicide, because Olivia, particularly, I don't think we've even heard from Hannah's dad or anything, um, but Olivia is very, very, very confused about her daughter's suicide, and she knows nothing of the tapes, none of the... um, None of the relevant people know anything about the tapes at the moment, only the kids who have received them, which is which is pretty interesting. Um, Olivia becomes really upset while she's talking to the school's principal. He doesn't want to give her information uh, because he doesn't feel like he should be talking to her at all because they have a pending court case. But Olivia retreats to the ladies' bathroom because she can't stop the tears. And while she's there, she makes the startling discovery of the graffiti-covered walls in the bathroom stalls, riddled with swear words that appeared to depict a really sinister culture of bullying and name-calling within the school. And I actually thought this was a pretty neat little scene because it felt very true to life. It felt like one of the few areas of this school that were actually grounded by reality because... (laughs) The whole idea of adults in high school, like, covered in tattoos, driving around in fancy cars, seems ridiculous to me. I don't live in California, so I don't know what it's like over there. Um, My only perception of American high school comes from TV, and it seems like everyone who goes to American high school is 25 years old. But this idea of kids writing really mean things about each other on the bathroom walls, that's a thing that happened in every school I've ever went to. And I think it's a thing that would shock an awful lot of parents. So um, this scene made a lot of sense and it it seems to be another way that the show itself is sort of doing a good job of um, changing my perception of Hannah as a narcissistic sociopath and sort of rebuilding her as a vulnerable schoolgirl who got bullied into suicide. I guess that's what we're heading for here. Clay slips out of one of his classes while his teacher is sleeping and approaches Alex in the hallway. Alex is tearing down suicide prevention posters and he too has bloodshot eyes and it's pretty clear that Alex is a man who's just had enough and he's really struggling to deal with his burdens at the moment. Clay confronts Alex and asks him if it's true, if he actually did it. We don't know what the thing is supposed to be at this point but it's allegedly what ended his relationship with Jessica. Clay says... He doesn't think that Alex would do it. We then cut to Clay and Hannah back in their cinema working days and they're tidying up before close as Alex leaves the last movie of the night and he's all alone. It seems to be a source of confusion for... Hannah and Clay, they're sort of wondering why he's in there so far after the credits. Again, Alex, even in this scene, which is obviously a flashback in the timeline before, he's reeling from his breakup with Jessica, and he just generally carries himself like a really emotionally conflicted kid, and that really carries on through this scene. Afterwards, Clay and Hannah head up to the roof of the cinema to watch some kind of lunar eclipse, Uh, this was a thing that Clay had suggested earlier for him and Hannah to do and she showed ultimately no interest in it and even while she's up there on the roof she's showing no interest in it but eventually Clay talks her around and says you can see a shadow lingering at the top of the moon and sort of uh, going over the moon a little bit like a shadow sort of slowly very slowly covering the moon which is I guess a really neat metaphor for Hannah's life at this point it's Kind of being blanketed by a shadow but we have yet to see the full effect of that come into play at this point hannah actually emanates some visible excitement which is really strange like she's delighted that she's actually witnessing this sort of thing but she also expresses fear which is great because it's more emotion from her and that's what we want to see she says that it's kind of scary seeing a shadow on the moon and this is also the first time that she's shown any cosmic awareness Perhaps she thinks it's scary because it reminds her of her own insignificance, which would fit pretty well in my theory that she dreads a lack of attention, or at least the certain type of attention that she does crave. Sadly for Hannah, the wrong kind of attention is exactly what she attracts in this episode, or maybe not even that she attracts but just what falls upon her, and she has no choice but to accept it. And this comes in the form of Alex's list, which I mentioned in the last episode. Um, it's basically the list that says that Hannah has the best ass in the school. It, it says some other stuff, like there's one girl who has the best lips in the school, and that's the thing that she's very proud of. You can see her applying lipstick. But one thing... That that scene with that girl applying lipstick shows is that the kids in this school take that list very seriously. And I think the show actually did a good job of portraying that on the screen. How seriously the kids take the list. And that's important because that's actually going to come back later on in the episode. But this list is just another brick that gets knocked out of Hannah's stable foundation. If you could even call it stable before. What we do know about Hannah is that she's very impulsive and she gets immediately affected by things before she can even rationalize it in her brain. And I guess that's another thing that perplexes me as to how she had all the time and desire to go about recording these tapes, but at the moment that's neither here nor there. Hannah tells Clay over lunch that she wishes she could fast forward through all the shitty parts in life and get to the good parts, like college, where she can be someone else and start over. This is also a pretty neat little scene because we finally see some angst from Hannah. And slowly but surely, they're sort of filtering through these emotions that should be apparent in a victimized kid or a bully victim or someone who is really unhappy. And I've been very impatient with this show, but they are slowly winning me around. And that's like pretty interesting for me because it gives me a lot more motivation to keep watching. But continuing down this path, as Clay tells Alex at Monet's, Alex reveals that he made the list, which was something we weren't sure of at the time. Like, Clay was definitely not sure of it. And whenever Clay isn't sure of something, we as the viewer are unsure of it ourselves. Because Clay is the lens through which we are watching this thing. Every single emotional decision or every single outcome, it really depends what Clay thinks about it before we can make up our own mind. But the list that says that Hannah has the best ass and Jessica has the worst and the fact that it was made by Alex is definitely a puzzling situation considering he was going out with Jessica and showed no interest in Hannah. He then reveals that he made this list out of spite because Jessica wouldn't have sex with him. He felt peer pressure from his jock friends to actually have sex with her and all of this resulted in Jessica slapping Hannah in the last episode. This definitely definitely changes the shape of hannah's troubles and i think the changing shape of hannah's troubles is probably the thesis of this episode it paints her solely as a victim and the conclusion of the butterfly effect mentioned earlier in the episode is going to be what alex's list has done to hannah now, all of the kids in school believed that Alex dumped Jessica for not being slutty enough and got with Hannah because she's the perceived school slut. And there's a scene in the in the boys' locker room or dressing room after they play volleyball, or at least after they have PE. They play volleyball in real time. I don't know what they were playing in the past timeline where Hannah was alive. But there's a scene where the guy's, like, really, really big Alex up because he kind of intimates that he'd had sex with Hannah like another guy uh, references it and says oh Justin knows all about how crazy she is and it's like there's a bunch of guys in this room who believe that both Justin and Alex have had sex with Hannah when neither of them have and this is really true to life this is exactly how teenage boys behave and I'm not saying that in a critical tone I'm saying that from an experience I understand that that is exactly how they behave this is a situation that Hannah has ultimately no control over whatsoever and if there's one thing we know about how rigidly she plans everything that she does from meeting Justin outside the class that she learned that he was in or even just the recording uh, the map planning everything with the tapes she's a very very rigid planner And she enjoys having control over everything that she possibly can. And this is something that she doesn't have control over. It's another way that she loses her grip on the situation. All of this was brought on by male posturing and peer pressure. And then we see a really agonizing and creepy scene in a liquor store where Bryce literally assaults Hannah. He approaches her at the till and then gropes her and it's a really disgusting scene to watch. There was something about it that just made me feel so uneasy and it might seem like such an innocuous thing but I think the show did a really good job of <laughs> I I don't like I feel kind of bad for laughing at it at the time but Hannah while well, recounting it in the tape says, well done Bryce, you put a target on not only my ass but on my life or something to that effect. Um, but it's true, that would never have happened if the list never happened. And that's not Alex's fault, it's Bryce's fault. But Alex couldn't have known that Bryce was the psychopath that he is. But then in real time, Bryce enters the liquor store once again, and he appears to be wearing the same clothes. I don't know if that's just my memory playing tricks with me, Um, but this time it's while Clay is actually inside. He had gone in while sort of retracing Hannah's steps, as he's been known to do. And this scene frames Bryce in such a predatory way that it's actually impossible to imagine him as being a guy who doesn't have incriminating evidence on his hard drive. Bryce buys alcohol for Clay and the ragtag group of super jocks are hanging out in an alley right outside the liquor store where they basically use their powers of peer pressure into making Alex and Clay have some kind of drink off where they have to chug, a what was it, 400 milliliters or... I, I can't even remember what it was, but it's a huge, huge bottle of alcohol and... They do that. Clay basically wins, and his older brother Tony appears to be watching at the side. Obviously, he isn't his older brother, but he is a man who definitely shouldn't be in that school, and I cannot believe that nobody has mentioned that at any point yet in this show. There's also a scene to just cut back to Monet's for a moment when Clay met Alex, where Clay is at the counter talking to a lady that they refer to as Twilight because she's kind of a goth, and I can't remember her name, but she is quite clearly not... (laughs) A person in a school? Like even just little things like the fact that she's covered in tattoos or that she quite clearly is not a teenager at all and you can tell from looking at her. And it's things like that that make me have a really difficult time uh, finding the reality in this show. But Clay wins the drink off and he goes over to Tony and... And they have a little sort of disagreement. Like Tony is like, oh, you're having fun with your friends? And Tony really disapproves because he doesn't like the jocks at all. Tony says to Clay, if you can't trust me, I can't help you. Which is really ominous and troubling because Tony is giving Clay nothing to work with here. We know that Tony is conspiring almost with Olivia, Hannah's mother. And we have no idea why. Uh, We did see Tony and Olivia talking at Monet's. And Tony wouldn't even tell Olivia who Clay is. So none of it seems to be making any sense. We don't really know what Tony's connection to Olivia is at this point. um, Nor do we even know what his connection to Hannah was. So Tony's situation and his, um, his story is very, very vague. And kind of frustrating to observe at the moment, I have to be honest. Clay follows Tony after he drives away in his Mustang. Clay follows on pursuit in his bike, on his bike, to a remote location where he witnesses Tony and some other street thugs giving a beatdown to some guy. This scene is also really weird. I, I'm not sort of, I'm not a hundred percent sure what the point of it is. But from there, the episode transforms into a misery montage where we see Alex facing the reality that he threw the first boulder at Hannah's foundations. He knocked out the first thing that was holding her stability in place. And Clay faces the possibility that he was complicit in this. We fade out with vague threats from Justin and Bryce, alluding to how they're going to take care of Clay. We still don't know why. We still haven't learned what Clay knows. Alex throws himself into the swimming pool, and Clay sneaks out of the house, where it was announced by his mother a few minutes ago that he was grounded for two weeks because he came home drunk. If I had to put the scene of Tony and the guys beating up the other guy into context, I would guess that it sort of symbolizes Clay's losing faith in everything, losing faith in the reality that he thought he lived in and how the things that he thought were true don't necessarily appear to be true anymore. As we approach episode four... I do really feel like the more relevant pieces of Hannah's character arc are finally starting to fall into place. And it does seem like the show is taking a little bit of a different direction. Like she's being humanized to a large extent by the effects of the butterfly's wing flapping at the start of the episode. And it's suddenly dawning on me that we have 10 episodes to go or 9 episodes to go and there's still plenty of room for magic in this series. That's the end of this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you did, please do leave a like. I've been El Niro. Thanks for listening.